Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. So we've been making comments for 5 years now. It's over 100 episodes and counting. And our plan... Well, it's to keep making more seasons, even more episodes. And when I say we, I don't just mean the Commons team. I'm including you, our listeners and supporters. We can't make this show without you. We can't keep bringing you exceptional reporting every week without your support. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a Canadaland supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special deal for our listeners. Sign up now for just $2 a month for the next six months. You'll get access to all the episodes of Commons one week early and ad-free, as well as exclusive bonus content from all of our shows. There's discounts on merch, tickets to our live events, and so much more. This is a limited-time offer, and it's a pretty great deal that helps support our journalism. Just go to canadaland.com join, or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. Even if you commit murder in Canada, the likelihood is that you're going to get out of jail one day and you probably have an idea of when that's going to happen to you. Yet there's a group of people who, when they are locked up in our system, have no idea when they're getting out. And that group of people are migrants. As a matter of fact, Canada was condemned by the United Nations just last week for our abysmal record on the indefinite detention of migrants. Adults and children kept in detention centers or jails, not being able to see their families, not being able to communicate with the outside world, wondering what their fate's going to be. There is no end in sight for them. Luckily, we do have a couple of guests today who can walk us through this issue because they've seen firsthand what these detainees are going through. They're going to be here to tell us where these people are being kept and why they're being kept for so long. Let's get into this, Andre. I'm Andre Demise. And I'm Desmond Cole. And this is Canada Land. Cons. This episode is brought to you by Audible, the world's best online audiobook service. One book that listeners of Canada Land Commons might like is Headscarves and Hymens, Why the Middle East Needs a Sexual Revolution by Mona El-Tahawi. In this book, 
Eltahawi examines both misogyny in the Middle East and attempts by the West, some of them she believes to be misguided, to try and intervene in politics and women's issues in that part of the world. You can read this book or any other one in Audible's 180,000 volume library for free with a 30-day membership. Just visit audibletrial.com slash CanadaLand to get started. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So joining us today is Renu Mandani. She's the executive director of the International Human Rights Program at the University of Toronto's Faculty of Law. She's also the co-author of a recent report called We Have No Rights, Arbitrary Imprisonment and Cruel Mistreatment of Migrants with Mental Health Issues in Canada. Welcome to the show, Renu. Thank you for having me. We also have on the line with us Syed Hussan. He's an organizer with the group End Immigration Detention in Toronto and a longtime advocate for the rights of migrants in this country. Syed, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Desmond. So the, uh, the first question we want to ask is, how is it that people are sent to these detention centers in the first place? So basically, people can be detained under the immigration detention regime for four reasons. The first one, and usually the most brief, is to conduct an examination. So, you know, if they arrive at the airport, they can be detained for a short examination. And then the three other reasons are because they're deemed a flight risk by a Canadian Border Services Agency, because their identity can't be confirmed, or because they're deemed a danger to the public. And the vast majority of detainees are detained because they're deemed a flight risk or because their identity cannot be confirmed. And actually, danger is the least likely reason for detention. So what it means to be a flight risk is that the government's trying to deport them, has said that they shouldn't be in the country, and has decided to imprison them. So it's basically administrative law. These people don't have criminal charges. There's no trial. There's no end in sight. They're being imprisoned until the government is able to deport them because the government insists that if they were out in the community, they would not show up for their deportation. So they haven't actually committed a crime yet. They haven't done anything. But from the government's point of view, they might do something. So therefore, we have to warehouse them. Well, it's a little more complicated, I think, than that. But um, I think what's important is that they are not serving any current criminal charges. And there is a small minority of them for whom Canada seeks to deport them because they were engaged in past criminality for which they served a sentence. In most cases, the charges are relatively minor, but none of them are sentenced under the criminal system but are still spending sometimes significant amounts of time in a jail intended for a criminal population. We should talk about a specific person, right? So there's a man, his name is Michael Movogo. Michael Movogo was convicted because he was found to be in possession of one gram of cocaine, right? He spent one day in prison. Now, because of that one day in prison, he's no longer allowed to get permanent residency in Canada because if you're criminally convicted before getting your PR, you can't get your permanent residency. As a result of that, he became non-status and he has spent now nearly a decade in immigration detention. 
And so for the last 10 years, the federal government is trying to deport him. So for the first few years, they had difficulty ascertaining his identity. But since then, they know what country he's from. And he's from a country, Cameroon, where they don't have birth records. They don't have computerized records for him. There's no actual evidence that he's a Cameroonian citizen. And the federal government cannot deport someone to a country without a travel document. And so now this is when the story gets really, really weird. And I think listeners may have a hard time believing that this is happening in Canada. So the CBSA, the Canada Border Services Agency, hires an international forger slash smuggler who gets them a fake passport for this man for a third country. And Canada Border Services Agency then put this man on a plane and go to this third country where he's not from. What? Where the border officials arrest them and deport them back to Canada. They spend 5000 taxpaying dollars um, to do hold, hold up, hold up. So I, I just, I can't believe this. We actually hired a smuggler slash forger to deport a dude to a country that he didn't even come from because we didn't know what to do with him? Exactly. There's a half an hour documentary on CBC about it. It was on the front pages of the National Post, right? These are the reported, recorded public stories of what's happening. All of that over one gram of cocaine. I used to work in the nightclub scene in Toronto. I've seen people sniff up a gram of cocaine in a single sitting. So if he'd have just made sure it went up his nose, he'd be okay. Basically, all this is is discrimination based on your nationality or lack of Canadian citizenship, because if you were a Canadian citizen and you would have served your one day sentence and you would be released and hopefully reintegrate back into society. And somehow we justify this long term detention, you know, almost 10 years, really solely on the basis of nationality. It's just this arbitrary reason why these people are treated so fundamentally differently from what a Canadian citizen would be treated like, even though, you know, their human experience in prison is the exact same as it would be for a Canadian citizen, if not worse, because their detention's indefinite. I used to practice criminal defense law before my position at U of T, And, you know, a 10-year sentence is a manslaughter sentence in Canada. This is not insignificant amounts of time. So, you know, the fact is, is being non-status is not a crime in Canada. And that's why Hussein rightfully points out that this is administrative detention, not, not criminal detention. What are these detention centers actually like? Are they prisons? Are they separate kinds of facilities? When people's immigration status is in doubt for whatever reason, where are they being kept? Basically, there's two places in Canada where you can be held. One is uh, dedicated immigration holding centers. So these are facilities geared only to um, migrants. And there are three. There's one in Vancouver, one in Montreal, and one in Toronto. The one in Vancouver is in the basement of the airport and it only houses like 20 people. These are medium security facilities so they still are extremely restrictive of liberty where people cannot leave. They can't be housed with their families. The women and children will be detained separately from the men. Calls are restricted. Really it's it's a prison-like environment, but the difference I think would be that the you aren't commingled or you're not in a criminal facility. So that's about 70% of people are held in that type of facility and 30% are held in provincial jails. And obviously those kind of conditions for our report, we've obtained access into the jails to visit the detainees. And it's pretty hard to 
describe what that's like. So you, you're behind a fence with razor wire, with cameras, you go through security, you go through about six sets of double locked prison grade doors. They're wearing prison uniforms. So they're in orange jumpsuits. You can't take photographs. You can't record them. They are locked in their cells 17 hours a day. They get one hour of outdoor exercise. They eat their food in a cell. It's basically, you know, as I said, I was a criminal lawyer before. It's indistinguishable from the way criminal detainees are kept. So maybe one I'll jump in and I'll speak about Abdi is uh, Abdurrahman Ibrahim Hassan, who's a Somali man who came to Canada as a refugee, right? He got his refugee status, but he had severe mental health issues. He was arrested. He was charged. And as soon obviously, as he was sentenced, he became non-status. Now, they wanted to deport him to Somalia. So he's put into this prison. And because he has mental health issues, they put him in solitary, right? He put them in segregation for 12 months, right? So for 12 months, he's kept in a cell where he doesn't see anyone. He's just put completely aside from really any human contact. And he had diabetes and he wasn't able to get real support for it. He was not getting his psychiatric meds, his physical health meds, and he got really, really sick. And he was taken to the hospital, and this was about 44 days ago. And when he was in the hospital, according to the SIU reports, he quote-unquote became agitated, at which point he needed to be quote-unquote restrained, and then he died. And he's the 12th person to have died in these prisons in the last 15 years. Four of them have died, you know, less than the last three years. And no serious recommendation, no overhaul of the system has happened. And so the conditions are, in one word, deadly. Rainy, let me ask you, how many people in Canada are being kept as immigration detainees at this time? So the best number we have is over 7,300 in 2013. We don't have better numbers. That doesn't mean all of them are serving long-term sentences. The government was very clear to um, say that the average length of imprisonment or detention is only 23 days, but that doesn't really get at the fact that we know of quite a few cases of detention over one year and some as long as 10 years or more. So it's quite a wide-scale problem. And the other issue is that um, not all of these people who are detained, the 7,000, are adults. There are actually children who are in detention children who don't have Canadian citizenship or status, but also actually Canadian citizens. So we have children in the immigration holding centers who, quote unquote, choose to remain with their parents when they're detained and don't have status, who were born in Canada and are imprisoned. So there are actually a lot of very vulnerable people in that 7,300. I'm glad you bring that up, actually, because um, we've got a clip here from CBC's Definitely Not the Opera, And the interviewee was a woman named Glory Anawa. Glory Anawa is a woman who is currently being detained in an immigration facility. She had a child while she was being detained, and she actually talked to CBC about what the conditions are like for her child. Let's have a listen to that. When I take him to the hospital, he gets really scared when he sees cars. He's not used to. He's just used to the security guard with the uniforms, and he knows some words, like, you know, the words that they always use here, like radio check. Those are the things that he's used to because that's the only life he knows. So that was Glory Anawa talking about her two-year-old son who has only known life inside the walls of a detention center in Canada. Syed, 
Can you tell us more about the impact that these kind of detentions have on people psychologically and emotionally? Let me just continue with Glory and Alpha's story. So, you know, Glory comes here. She's arrested at the border. She's put into prison and she's about to apply for a refugee claim. But she gets wrong legal advice and they tell her to withdraw her refugee claim. So she withdraws her refugee claim, which means she can no longer get status in the country because her term limit for PRA has passed. And then she's just in jail. She gives birth to Alpha. And I'll just tell you this. I mean, I've talked to Gloria Alpha quite a few times. And she was telling me that for the first year, they were getting regular medical health checkups for her child. But then Canada Border Services Agency turns around and says, we're actually not detaining him. He's a Canadian citizen who's accompanying you. So we don't want to put in the effort to get the child his basic medical checkups, his medication, all of that. And so for the second year, he didn't see a doctor. And it was only quite recently that he was able to get access to basic medical. That's how the government is treating these people that it says are not in its custody. They're just actually accompanying their parents. Now, emotionally, one of the things we've been doing for the last um, 16 months is supporting about 100 detainees in a maximum security prison who've been organizing. And so those detainees talk you know, regularly about separation from their families, how they've lost contact with their loved ones. You know, the precariousness of not knowing an end. When you're in prison, you kind of know when your trial is going to be. And if you're convicted, you know when you're going to get out. In immigration detention, there's no end. People are essentially staring down a black hole appearing in front of this very broken detention review process every 30 days where they're being lambasted and lied about. And so the collective damage on the person is intense. Canada is one of the only countries in the so-called Western world that does not have a limit on detentions pending deportations. And so one of our key demands is that some, if someone cannot be deported within 90 days, they must be released, right? The second demand is nobody should be kept in these maximum security prisons. And the third is that there needs to be a total overhaul of the judicial system. These demands have actually been created by immigration detainees inside these prisons who are organizing. So in the face of this huge amount of repression, people are actually um, responding and organizing and we're trying to support them. Particularly after Abdi's death, 88 detainees put their names on the same petition. And that means it was passed from cell to cell across ranges, but they can't even communicate because they're not all in the same range. And they've put out this petition and we're urging people to go to our website and sign this petition. Do you have any idea how much it costs for us to use this uh, essentially broken and inept system? Yeah, so the last numbers we have, 2011 to 2012, um, the cost was over $50 million on detention. And by far, the most expensive way to detain people is to hold them in a provincial jail, which costs um, over $250 a day. $250 a day uh, over the course of a year, that's over $90,000. That's a shocking amount. <laughs> Jails aren't cheap. You know, when Hussan says that these people should be released, I mean, there are so many ways that, for example, the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees has been thinking about how do we actually ensure that people you know, don't disappear and show up for deportation or reviews without um, resorting to using prisons for something that we could do through other forms of monitoring or reporting or bails or sureties. What is the benefit for the government to use the system that we have right now? It seems to be incredibly expensive and it's just not who I thought that we are as Canadians. So why are we doing it? Well, one, I think this government in particular is very interested in sending a message to would-be asylum seekers and migrants that Canada isn't 
that place anymore, that it isn't the place where you can show up and you can find refuge easily. And I mean, they've stated this publicly, but what's funny is that all the data and studies show that actually these kinds of repressive policies don't actually stop people from coming and pursuing safety in a third country. So I think part of it is messaging. And then I'm at a little bit of a loss as to why we detain for such long periods of time. I think I understand why if people are in the country illegally, that Canada might need a short period of detention to determine how to most effectively deport or regularize their status. But I don't really understand why we're detaining people for 10 plus years. Syed, I want you to speak to this as well, because there's an incredible amount of anger among a lot of people in the Canadian public about people coming into Canada illegally, uh, perceptions that people are trying to take advantage of our system. How do you respond to people who say you don't have any rights once you come into Canada illegally? I guess a few things. One is these laws, really the most repressive laws that started taking away, away people's status and increasing detentions start around 1994, around the Just Desserts shooting, which is when a botched robbery results in two Canadian citizens, white women, um, being shot at, one of them dying um, in downtown Toronto. And this created a huge national hysteria because one of the men involved in this was actually somebody who had previously been charged with a crime and could have lost his immigration status but hadn't because of laws then. Now, he had been found not guilty on that crime and he was found not guilty of the shooting but he was still deported and all these laws were stressed because these were Jamaican men and became this thing where these black undocumented men were killing these white people, right? And so that really became that racism allowed these laws to happen, which has created the conditions that we are in now, which makes it easier and easier for the government to take away immigration status. And that's the second point. These people are not here, quote unquote, illegally. These people have been illegalized. So either the government has refused to give them status or second, they had permanent residency, which was revoked, right? So Abdi was a refugee. He had been given status. It was revoked. So the government's actually taking away people's immigration status, making them illegal, and then jailing them. And so the reason that this is happening and this is allowed to continue, I think, one, for, first and foremost, is because no one knows what's happening in immigration detention. So, you know, I spoke about these smugglers, but there are others. And the second one is profoundly racism. Right? So we don't actually have a flood of immigrants coming here and breaking the system. What we have is a government that is forcing people into less and less permanent status. And so when people make the difficult decision to continue to live here, they're then detained endlessly. So I mean, personally, I don't think the detention and deportation regime works. Um, these people shouldn't be deported. In fact, they should be regularized. Um, and in the interim, um, there needs to be a real overhaul of the system, starting with an end to indefinite detention, um, starting with an end to maximum security imprisonment. Like, why are these people being held in provincial prisons? Why is the Ontario government profiting? Because the federal government pays the Ontario government to detain these people, right? I think we should just throw out this notion of what Canada is as a so-called multicultural welcoming place. Really look hard at it and talk about, okay, what do we want to become? Because what it is, is what it's always been, which is an exclusionary racist place. I hear what you're saying. I guess the way I'm feeling about this is that there are a lot of people in our country who are saying we have the right. We have the sovereign right as a country to determine who comes, 
how long they stay if and when they get citizenship status. And that seems to be the reason why there's so much anger around this issue is that if people accept what you're saying, it seems like they have to also accept that our government doesn't have this supreme right to just make all of these decisions about who comes and who does not. Well, okay, so let's take it on its head, right? So when these people first arrived on these indigenous territories, how did this government take this right for itself? And then I think the other end of it is that why do people move in the first place, right? So um, people wouldn't want to come to Canada if the conditions in their countries were not so bad. And I think Canada has a huge role to play in the fact that conditions in their countries are so bad through its mining corporations, through its banking agreements, through its international warmongering. So Canada is responsible for the displacement of people. It's responsible for benefiting from climate change. And so I think it has a responsibility to migrants coming here. Um, And I think that um, that requires a fundamental realignment of who we are. And it, it means throwing out the propaganda that has been forced upon us. And that's not easy. But I think people should really try and look deep in ourselves. Even people who accept that Canada has the right to determine who has citizenship and who can stay and who can go, they don't believe that that right extends to indefinite detention and cruel treatment. So I just want to sort of say that I think that even if you accept it, that some level, Canada, you know, as a sovereign nation, has the right to determine who gets citizenship and who doesn't and who's uh, allowed to stay. Even if you accept that, that doesn't lead you necessarily to the kind of immigration detention regime that we have. That's actually a really good comment, and it leads me into the question I was about to ask you. We're talking about you know, the direction of the government and what rights and abilities the government has, but what rights do the detainees have? Yes, so the title of our report, obviously, We Have No Rights, that was a direct quote, and that's something that we heard from almost all the detainees that we spoke to in some variation or form. What's, I think, really surprising to me is that we've basically accepted a situation that results in arbitrary, indefinite detention and cruel and unusual treatment for a subset, a very vulnerable subset of our population without asking what rights do these people get sort of by nature of being human. And right now the system really affords them almost no, no meaningful rights um, at all. Just on a rights question, legally speaking, every 30 days you're supposed to show up in front of a detention review so you're only being detained for another 30 days, right? And so in some cases, these people have had these monthly detentions for over 10 years. Now, when you lose at that, which almost everyone does all the time, you can't directly access the courts. You can't go to the federal court and appeal that decision. These are politically appointed members who've made this decision. They're not lawyers. Um, and then to, to appeal that, you can't go to the federal court. The federal court has to give permission to hear you, which it rejects in most cases, and then even if you get to the federal court, they don't make the decision on the facts, they make it on the law. And if you, if you win, you go back to a board member who has to make the decision. It's this circular loop. Um, that's how the system is set up. And I can just tell you from a criminal law perspective, um, 
that system bears no resemblance to what we require for detention of people in criminal facilities on criminal charges. The internal tests that have been developed by lawmakers basically shift the burden of proof to the detainee, meaning that if they want to get out, they have to establish why they should be let out rather than the state having to establish again why they need to be detained. It's a very broken legal system, and I think um, most Canadian lay people, legally trained or not, can understand that when you have situations of extremely long-term detention, that this review system isn't actually playing the role it's meant to play, which is to not allow for indefinite detentions. What exactly does the international community think of the way we've put these uh, the system together? I was at the United Nations for Canada's first review by the Human Rights Committee in 10 years, and they released their report last week on July 23rd. And what I think is particularly interesting is that on all the other recommendations, nearly all the other recommendations in the UN's report, they've asked Canada to um, report back within five years. On the issue of immigration detention, they've asked Canada to report within one year, which really speaks to the fact that I think the UN recognized that the system is broken and that it's resulting in very serious rights violations and that the government needs to act immediately. Just to wrap up with both of you, if you could get one message out to the Canadian public about this work on immigration detention that you've been doing, what would it be? And Raina, we'll start with you. I think the one thing that I would want people to do is just to really understand that this is happening in Canada and to feel outraged, I hope, and to start pressing for some political changes. Um, You know, I met with uh, Liberals and Conservatives and NDP on this issue, and my sense from them is that the the only way that this issue is going to end up um, having a political solution anyway is if Canadians sort of feel strongly about it. And All of them sort of said this isn't the kind of issue that plays well politically. It's complicated. It deals with people who don't have status. Most Canadians aren't sympathetic to that class of people. And I just want people to really think about the human situation that these people are in, the separation from their children and their families, um, the hardship they went through to come to Canada. And again, even if we don't believe that they have a right to be here, surely they don't deserve to be detained in a criminal facility endlessly. And I hope that Canadians will keep the pressure on the government to to make necessary changes. Syed Hussain? So first of all, I would ask people to go to our website, endimmigrationdetention.com. There are two petitions we're running there. Sign them. And if you sign them, we'll get in touch with you and give you options of getting involved. I think philosophically, politically, and personally speaking, um, people need to reach out and, and work with other people to identify what are some key immigration concerns in their communities and start acting on them. There's a myriad of issues. Um, immigration detention is you know, what happens as a result of the entire immigration system's um, exclusion. To add, I mean, because Rainer sort of really outlined what people can do on the immigration detention question, I would just say, look at the immigration system as a whole um, and reject racisms, you know, reject it inside, inside yourself, reject it in your organizations, reject it in our communities. Otherwise, these conditions continue to grow worse um, all the time. It's always challenging and confusing sometimes to talk about immigration issues, but we want to thank both of you for bringing clarity and insight to this discussion. Thanks so much for your contributions both. Thanks for having us. 
That's the program for this week. Help us keep this important conversation going. You can find us on Twitter. Search for Canada Land Commons. It'll be the first thing that pops up. Much shout-outs go to our producer, Imogen Burchard, and credits for the music go to Nathan Burley. Find us online at canadalandshow.com. If you'd like to send us an email, and we highly recommend that you do, you can send one to me at andre at canadalandshow.com or to me at desmond at canadalandshow.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. If you like this show, please support it. Chip in at patreon.com slash canadaland. Show us some love, give us a review, tell your friends, tweet about the show. By the way, I do want to take a couple of seconds to point out that we've got listeners in Nunavut. What up? Nunavut listeners, like whoever you are, thank you so much for supporting this show. Listen, guys, you can find Canada Land Shortcuts this coming Thursday, and the next episode of Commons will be up next Tuesday. So we've been making Commons for five years now. It's over 100 episodes and counting. And our plan? Well, it's to keep making more seasons, even more episodes. And when I say we, I don't just mean the Commons team. I'm including you, our listeners and supporters. We can't make this show without you. We can't keep bringing you exceptional reporting every week without your support. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a CanadaLand supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special deal for our listeners. Sign up now for just $2 a month for the next six months. You'll get access to all the episodes of Commons one week early and ad-free, as well as exclusive bonus content from all of our shows. There's discounts on merch, tickets to our live events, and so much more. This is a limited-time offer, and it's a pretty great deal that helps support our journalism. Just go to canadaland.com join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. This episode is brought to you in part by the Douglas Mattress. Now, I've said it before and I'll say it again. One of the best, and I mean the best things you can do for yourself, is to get a good quality mattress. The time is now, people. Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress protector, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That's douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.